0: Thank you for your your giving, church. My name is Corey Bendix. If uh, we have not gotten a chance to meet yet, um, this is a special day in that we are celebrating baptisms. We've got, (laughs) I believe, five people that are getting baptized, so we'll do that in just one second. Um, If you would like, just go ahead and uh, go to Mark chapter 8, verses 14 to 21, before we we get there. um, I I want to introduce myself and my family again. I've uh, been here for... Uh, my, this is my second go-around here. I was here for eight years, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm back. We're excited to be here. Um, and so this is my family. I have uh, an amazing crew, a chaotic crew of four kids, uh, 15, 14, 12, and 9, and then a wife of almost 18 years. I know I look like I'm 12, uh, but here's the reality is that I just, I'm 40, and uh, I don't when I see that picture, I'm reminded of how old I am. And I don't know what happens at 40 years of age, but it's almost as if, like, the, the memory bottom drops, right? Like, your ability to remember things is no more. Uh, if it's pin codes and passwords, if it's names, if it's anniversaries, if you're young, get ready. Your memory, gone. <laughs> Forty years of age. How many of you are forty and kind of, kind of, can attest to that? Just a bit. All right, all two of you who want to be honest with yourself. Uh, As crazy as my natural memory is, it's gotten me thinking about my spiritual memory. I forget God a lot. I forget His grace. I forget His mercy. Forget how faithful he's been to me. It's amazing how my current needs so quickly uh, outmatch and speak louder than a current Savior. I'm not sure if you're like me, but what I find hope in is as I go throughout the pages of the scriptures, I find a lot of people who have been overwhelmed with this spiritual dementia. You look at a person like Noah, a man who has experienced God's faithfulness, survived a, a, a storm that has killed the entire world, and as soon as he hits terra firma, what does he do? He creates a concoction of strong drink, and he gets drunk, and he brings shame to himself, shames to, to his family, and shame to his son specifically, a man who has forgotten God. We look at Solomon, an encounter with God where God says to him, what do you want? Anything. He says, I want to rule your your kingdom with wisdom. God says, you've got it. He's known as the wisest man on the earth, encountering God's presence, encountering his wisdom, encountering his resources. And within 20 to 30 years, he has over 600 wives having turned away from the God that had made him to the gods of his wives. John the Baptist, man who says, here is the lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world in chapter one. What happens in chapter four? He's he's in a prison and he says, he sends a messenger to Jesus. Are you the Messiah or should we look for someone else? Isn't it amazing how this, this tendency This virus to forget God lives and breathes in all of us. And my question is, what does this look like? What does spiritual dementia look like in me? But most importantly, what does it look like in the Bible? And then what's the origin? Where does it come from? But most importantly, what is God's answer in Jesus? Where, Where do we find our hope that Jesus has an answer for my spiritual forgetfulness, for my dementia? Can I remember? That's my question. And I want you to join me in, in, in a journey through Mark chapter eight, as we consider a familiar story, but an often overlooked one, because it's just kind of strange. It's a strange story. I want to title this message: "Do you not remember?" The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Uh, I'm sure like your family, uh, ours uh, had some pieces, uh, heirlooms, if you will, that were uh, valuable to us as a family, specifically my mom's side of the family. Um, she uh, had a, uh, her, her, her father had received many years ago uh, a copy of a Renoir painting, a, a painting that was uh, extended to, the, to their, their family, it was, it was important to them, it was set aside, it was valuable, and it was something that they treasured. And uh, as they transitioned, as all families do uh, when it comes to my grandpa and Grandma Bassett, they moved from Lake Kiowa, Texas, to the villages in Florida. And somehow in the transition, this painting, uh, it found its way to the attic. And as, as my uh, grandpa got a bit older, it was time for him to transition into another home. And my mom happened to go down to Florida to help him with this final transition my grandpa was collecting all of the stuff that he wanted to give away to Goodwill. And he had a pile. My mom tells a story about how she was sifting through this pile and she saw something that was a little abnormal. She pulls it out and it was the Renoir painting. It had found its way to the attic and was about to be given away. And this is the context, this is the experience that I believe that we have when it comes to the book of Mark and Mark chapter 8 with the disciples. They have something priceless in Jesus and they're on their way up to the attic. See, what we have in Mark's gospel is Mark is writing this masterpiece with Jesus at the center. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful tapestry that he's, he's scripting, he's writing uh, brush after brush of Jesus is the son of God. This is the purpose of the entirety of the book of Mark and he's proving that. And he begins with a messianic psalm in Mark chapter one when God booms from the heaven. This is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. That was the psalm that was stated when a king became king in in Israel. Like this was a defining moment for God's people when they're hearing this messianic psalm pointed to Jesus, the son of God. And what Mark is doing is he's, he's helping, he's inviting the, the audience into this reality that Jesus is the crowned king of kings. And he proves it by one experience after another where Jesus has authority. He has authority to heal the sick. He has authority to take demons and cast them out of people. He has the authority of walking on water. He has the authority to to, to not, not just feed a few people, but feed 5,000 and oh, for kicks and giggles, he feeds another 4,000, right? I mean, a part two. Uh, oh, by the way, right? So, and, and in, in a Jewish perspective, in order to be king, you have to do three things provide, protect, and heal. And guess what Jesus is doing? He's doing all of them, all of them. He's proving, Mark is proving that Jesus is the king that Humanity has been waiting for for centuries to restore man back to God. He's it. He's it. And guess what the the, the disciples have as a response to this. They have proximity to Jesus. They're close to him. They have proof of his sonship as the son of God. And guess what they do here. They, They question, can God really provide another meal for us on a boat? And this is a text where it's easy to go through it and begin to read about characters and you begin to sling a lot of shade at. How can you do this? Come on, man. You've seen him walk on water and then you're going to actually question if he has the ability to take care of you when it comes to a meal. And guess what? I do that all the time. That my current needs speak louder than a current savior here's 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 what happens when it comes to the story the the whole book of mark pivots within the context of this text and it starts with verse 14 let's read it i think i think we've we've got a slide it it says this it says the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf one loaf now if you read it you're like okay Corey, what's the big deal well Thankfully, we have another perspective in John. John describes Jesus as, as what? The bread of life, right? So in the boat, we don't have one loaf, we have, two. we have two. We have two loaves. One loaf that you can see, one loaf that was created, and the creator of that loaf. And if you want to know what it means to forget God, it's simply this. Forgetting God is allowing present needs To overcome and overwhelm a present creator. That here's here's what the gospel is. The gospel is is now choosing which loaf are you going to surrender to. Because here's here's the reality: we live in a world where we are constantly pulled into needs and demands, and instantly when we face the need, we forget our creators. This is what I do. This is what we do. This is the story of humanity we, it's almost like we live to forget God. We have this tendency to constantly turn our back on the one who who extended and emptied himself for us. See, if if you don't believe me, let me just tease this out. For all of us, we have God's proof of his love for you by constantly shocking you with, with blessings, specifically with finances. Right, I mean, he's, I have example after example after example of God shocking me, overwhelming me with his, geron- with his generosity as a generous host. And, and often I find myself uh, as a functioning atheist with my money. God providing, and then me, when the need comes, I turn my back on the very God who has been nothing but generous to me. This is what we do, is that God provides, he provides, he provides, and then we had this moment where we're like, you know what, I'm just not going to tithe. I'm not going to do it. This is us forgetting God, is that when present needs outweigh a present creator. Let's Let's go to health. I mean, miracle after miracle after miracle of God. Not, not not only providing healing for you when needed, but then providing wisdom through doctors to actually give you what you need. And then when we face moments of, of, of being overwhelmed by certain health challenges, it's so easy to now step into the world of now controlling things, of, of now st- be, being the doctor that does the research and now it's all on you to fix the problem. This is what we do. This is the human condition. And we could talk about relationships. We could talk about your future. This is what we do. When current needs outweigh and overwhelm a current creator, that is what it looks like to begin the process of forgetting God. And then what what Jesus does is he sees this. He sees this from a mile away. They're trying to focus on where they're going to eat, the deficiencies of the bread, and Jesus is focusing on the deficiencies of, of their faith. And then he goes on and he says this, and, and you can go to the next slide. Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and that of Herod, excuse me. What, what is he saying, yeast? Yeast, we all know what yeast is. It's a little tiny pinch. It goes into a, a, a batch of dough. You let it sit overnight and magically, the, dough goes, the, the, the yeast goes through the entirety of the dough causing it to rise and preparing it for you to make the best donuts ever, right? Like this is what yeast does. It starts out small, but its intent is to spread. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, there's a yeast in you disciples. It's fermenting, I can see it. It's fermenting. And it's, it's, a, it's fermenting, it's a, it's, a, it's a seed of suspicion that you don't think I can provide for you. That you're questioning me. Do I have what it takes to be the God that you need at this moment? And he's saying to them right now, there is a yeast. It's inside of you. Watch out for it. Be careful. He says it three times. And really the question is, well, what, what is it, like, where does this yeast come from? Like, Where's the origin? Where does it come back to? Where does the sprinkling begin? It begins in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. That you have have mankind put into a garden to do three simple things. Walk in freedom, had no clothes, no shame, no guilt. I mean, you had the life. They didn't even know what guilt was. They didn't have any context of what shame even felt like. They were free. They had a function that God worked with them to to tend the garden. I mean, they loved to do the work because they had their creator to do it with them. And, and then they had this fellowship, fellowship, function, freedom. I mean, this fellowship was amazing in that they walked with God in the cool of the day. They had interaction. They they just didn't know. They didn't want God's hand. They, they really were pursuing his heart. This is what they were made for. And over the course of time, we find the voice of Satan beginning to lure them away and, and, and then in the just in the process of communication with Satan, what we find is this simple question. I have present needs that are outweighing my present creator. So they turned their back and gave the keys of God's kingdom to his enemy. And then sin came into the world. So what you can say is the root of all sin is forgetting God. The root of of all sin, is forgetting God. And guess what? Mankind has been forgetting him ever since. At the heart of, our, of, of humanity is this intent to forget the one that created you. And guess what's so beautiful about, this story, about the story, about the origin of forgetting God, is that although we forgot him, guess what? We have this, this whole narrative that he refuses to forget us. I mean, just look at the rainbow. What does the rainbow say? The rainbow says, you sinned against me, I'm never going to wipe you out ever again. You forgot me, I will never forget you. If you look at the prophets, the feasts, it all communicates one thing, God's commitment to remember us even though we live to forget him. And then it's proven in the sending of his son. He sends his son. And we find these eight questions Eight questions that some theologians believe that there was anger and intensity. I don't see that. Same way that if you, if, if you as a husband, were to hear from your wife that she has decided to, to leave you, there would be questions of confusion and anger and heartbreak. But it would be heartbreak. What happened? What did I do? This is what we have. We have eight questions of Jesus' heartbreak towards humanity. And it's almost like we have this culmination of the entirety of the Old Testament, of, of, of Israel forgetting their God. And it's all wrapped up in the heart of what the, dis, the, the disciples are doing. And Jesus asked these questions. And you would think in the process of these questions that the forgetting, like the, this lifestyle of forgetting God, it would end. But guess what? It doesn't in Mark's gospel. You have the disciples, they go up to a mount of transfiguration. They encounter Jesus in a new way. And guess what they do when they need him, when he needs him the most? They fall asleep. Then, then you have a crowd, a crowd that, that gathers around and says, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then within a couple of hours, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. You have Peter, who's, who is saying, my Lord and my God. And then turning around and saying, I don't know him. This is, this is the text, and then it ends abruptly. Or does it? See, there's a key word in the verses that we just read. The key word is remember. Because in a couple of chapters, Mark is going to lead us to another meal. And in this meal, Jesus is going to bring his disciples, the ones that he knows are going to turn his back on him and forget him again. And brings them around, and he, he institutes a new meal. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And what he's doing in this moment is, although there was, there's been the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of sin, that has been rooted in the human heart since the beginning, yet Jesus is, what he's doing is he's saying, this is what he's saying, he's saying, I am creating a new yeast in my body, in my blood. And this yeast I want to insert it by grace through faith into the heart of every person that believes and this yeast will push out all the other yeasts and I promise it and I'm going to seal it by going to, to the cross. And guess what happens at the cross? Jesus, bloodied, being murdered. He says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even though we forgot him at the cross, What? Jesus remembered us. He remembered us. The cross is this, this one tale after another after another that says that He will never, ever, ever forget us. And then through his life, death, burial and resurrection becomes the power by which we can now live a life of remembrance to Him. This is the hope that we have in the gospel. And see, what's so beautiful about this is that he, the first thing that he does, when he comes back from the grave. In, in Luke's uh, perspective, he, 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 ta- he, he ends this magnum opus of his book with this, this unbelievable tale of these two disciples who have forgotten Jesus. And they're walking on this road to Emmaus, and this is what Jesus says to them. He says this. He says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from them. See, this is a story of two people who were running away and Jesus pursued them as they were running. And then he led them to a place where he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it. And that breaking of his body was enough to open up their eyes and awaken their hearts to now give themselves fully to the one who gave themselves fully to them. This is what we have is the hope to live a life of remembrance. This is what we have. These final words that Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I, I'll close with this story. Um, my, my grandma, Bendix, her name is Vinnie. Um, she was a hero of mine. And uh, I, we had a special relationship. And um, what, I don't, I'm not sure if you've ever had a relationship with a person where you just had your own kind of language. Um, I had a word with her. It was a word later. It was, I'm not sure really where it came from, but I just would throw in this word later, and it was almost like it spoke volumes. And I usually said it in awkward moments where only me and her knew about it, and she would kind of laugh, and I'd laugh, but it was, it was our word, special word that was rich in relationship and meaning for both of us. And towards the end of her life, last day that she was alive, she, I got a chance to speak to her, and she was in a bit of a fog in speaking and she was tired and somewhere in the conversation I said later grandma and in the communication of that one word it was as if she was awakened with energy it was almost like the fog was cleared that I said a word that awakened her and we had a, a moment of connection that was it was enriching and what we have in Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is finished. We have our word, a word that awakens you, a word that now empowers you to live, a word that now draws you to himself. A word that now puts a hook in your soul that even though you, you forget him, you are awakened to the fact that God can never forget me and I am now running back to the one who has run to me. That this is what we have as hope for a, a life that, that, that now begins to end this lifestyle of forgetting God. We don't have to do that any longer because of the hope we have in this one who has pursued us. Our current need no longer has to overwhelm a current savior. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the hope that we find in the gospel. That these this good news that Jesus you extended yourself for us. You pursued us when we were filthy. You gave yourself to us when we were rejecting you. And Father, we thank you that because of the cross, because of a resurrection that now extends life where there was death. God, it now awakens our heart to run to the one who is king over all of the earth. Lord, forgive us for the way in which we've distanced ourselves from you and allowed current needs to overwhelm and to distance us from a current savior. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are, for what you're doing. In this people, help us to live a life of remembrance. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.